And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to the Echoes of Calvary, brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. This Palm Sunday, we will look at God's prophecy, which was given to Daniel regarding the timing of the triumphal entry. This prophecy concerning the first Palm Sunday was given 550 years before Christ was born. Please turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. God, who is in control, to predict the timing down to the very day of the first Palm Sunday is in control of our lives as well. Know that God is never late. Be encouraged by belonging to such a sovereign God. And now, with his message for today, is our pastor, Robert Elliott. Our God is always right on time. Verse 25. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. God said to Daniel in this verse 25 that the 490 years in question would begin ticking off God's prophetic clock. And what would kick it off would be the issuing of a decree granting the Jews permission to go back to Jerusalem to reconstruct the fallen, dilapidated walls of the Jewish city. Both of our children are adopted, as I think most of you know by now. In Ontario, Canada, where we adopted both Joanna and JD, adoption law works like this. A birth mother who wants to place her child for adoption is not allowed to sign an adoption order until at least eight days have transpired since she gives birth to the child. Then when she signs the adoption order... Ontario law says that she then has 21 days wherein she can change her mind about the adoption for any reason, and the adoption is finished. So you can imagine that when, in these two cases of our precious children, when their respective birth mothers signed, this clock started ticking in our minds. 21 days, 20 days, 19 days. And then when the last day struck midnight into the 21st, 22nd day, we celebrated, we prayed, we gave thanks to God because the children were ours. God says the ticking down of the prophetic clock will begin with the issuing, the date of the issuing of a decree to free the Jews who were in Babylonian captivity to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their city. And so... History tells us that it was Persian King Artaxerxes who issued such a decree that gave permission to the Jews to start rebuilding Jerusalem and its walls in 445 B.C. By the way, you can read all about King Artaxerxes 
decree to allow the Jews to go back to rebuild their city in Nehemiah chapters 1 and 2. And so now to go further into this, to see just how amazingly precise Jesus' return on the Palm Sunday on the coal was with respect to prophetic dating, we go back to verse 25 one more time. So you are to know and to discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. So let's see, seven plus 62 weeks equals 69 weeks, and 69 multiplied by seven years is 483 years. Now watch this. I keep saying this because I know it's intricate. Stick with me. In ancient Bible times, the standard year was 360 days, not 365 days. The ancient calendar system was, in Bible times, used by the peoples of what are now the countries of India, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Greece, Italy, Central America, and China, and Israel. Now, we know from history, outside of the Bible, we know that King Artaxerxes decreed to allow the Jews to go back to Jerusalem to start rebuilding its walls on March the 14th, 445 B.C., March 14th, 445 B.C. And when a 360-day year is used and the 483-year period is added to March 14th, 445 B.C., the date it yields, the precise date it yields, the only date it can yield is the date of April 6th, 32 A.D. April 6th, 32 A.D. And that, my friends... And family is the precise date of the first Palm Sunday. Precise. God is always right on time. He's never late. Jesus rode into Jerusalem down the descent by the world's largest Jewish cemetery on the left into the Kidron Valley into Jerusalem on a full of a donkey right on time. The very day that God had given to Daniel, centuries before, our God is always right in time. Take encouragement in that. Take hope in that. Take pleasure in that. 550 years before Jesus was even born, God predicted the very day that his son would ride into Jerusalem to present himself as an official way to Israel to be her long-awaited Messiah King. And so they lined the streets with a national symbol of patriotism for Israel. In Canada, we would say the maple leaf off the maple tree is our rallying cry, our national symbol of unity and patriotism. But for them, as Israeli Jews, it was the palm. And so Jesus is riding on the full of a donkey right on time according to Old Testament prophecy. And the kids and the adults and the teenagers lined the road with these palm branches and said, Hosanna! Hosanna! Save now! Save now! The problem was that the majority of those who lined the road 
and yelled, Hosanna, save now. We're thinking about Rome's boot and heel on their throats. And they wanted political salvation. Like Simon the Zealot, they wanted deliverance from Rome because they didn't really care about deliverance from sin because to them, sin wasn't as big a problem as Roman oppression. Their agenda was more important to them than almighty God's agenda. And so our God that is always right on time, we must, when we look at Palm Sunday, April 6th, A.D. 32, we must see the precision of that timing not as a coincidence, but as something that God caused. Not as serendipitous, but something that was chalked up to God's sovereignty. Not luck, but what God had laid out well ahead. Not random, but regimented in the will and plan of God. Not forced, but fulfilled prophecy. So let me ask you in concluding, this Palm Sunday sermon. Do you think it logical that God, who was on time for the first Palm Sunday to the day after the passage of 173,880 days, do you think he could be on time for you? Whatever you're concerned about, could this God of Palm Sunday who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Could you bank on him being on time for you? Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas, and I serve the youth pastor here at Calvary Bible Church. And today we want to continue in our series, Lifeline, and talking about friendships. And we've been looking at the life of Jesus and how different friends came and how he, you know, dealt with them and showed us how we in our relationships, how we need to show the love of Christ. And today we need to understand that there are times in our lives when we feel lonely. There are times in our lives when we've been hurt. There are times in our lives when we go through tough times. And as if, if you think about it, this 2020 has probably been a very rough year for a lot of people for various different reasons. And today we want to talk about how did Jesus deal with a rough time? How did Jesus deal with Sometimes him being alone. And if you have your Bible, we're going to turn to John chapter 11, starting at verse 1. It says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it's for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to his disciples, Let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, Just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Verse 9, Aren't there twelve hours in a day? Jesus answered. If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble, because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does not stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. 
but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. Then Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, that we may die with him. As we see, we, we understand clearly there's a crisis going on. Lazarus, a much-loved friend of Jesus, he has died. And Jesus wants to go back to where he was buried. But the disciples know that going back is dangerous. The Jews in Judea, confused about who Jesus was and convinced he posed a threat, he posed their positions in leadership, had already tried to murder Jesus the last time he was there. Not wanting to be killed, the disciples asked him, Jesus, are you sure you want to go back to Judea? Of course, Jesus knew Judea wasn't safe. He's God, and, and as we know, he, he knew. This didn't catch him by surprise. He knew what was going on. But then we think of Mary and Martha that we looked at previously, and these were some of Jesus' friends who were facing, a, facing loss. So Jesus wanted them to be together. He wanted to show his friends how things go when they stick together. You know, and thinking about that, I want us to think about our life. Think about when you're going through a tough time where we have a friend that we can turn to. We have a friend that we can come alongside and be there with and help them and just come alongside and encourage them. You see, sometimes we want to be alone, but there are times when we need people around us to encourage us, to be there with us. And as we think of death, many people deal with death in different ways. Some people want people all around them, and some people do want to be alone. But I think and, uh, and encourage you not to just want to be alone all the time. There are times to be alone, but to get people and talk about it because sometimes we let it go. But as we see in the story, one of Jesus' disciples, Thomas, said, let's go. If we die, we will die together. Again, I don't give you advice in saying, well, let's go if we know we're going to die. But here Thomas saying, look, we want to, I want to be a friend. I want to be there. And if it means us dying, we're going to die for the sake of being a good friend. And I ask you this question as we think about this whole friendship and we think of going through life. I want to ask you, do you have a friend that will be there for you no matter what? A friend that says, you know what, no matter if it's going to hurt, I'm there with you. You see, too many times in our schools and everywhere we go, we have friends who stick with us when things are going great. But the minute things go bad, they turn on us and they, they start to jump on us like everybody else. But here Jesus is making it very clear that, look, I want to, you know, I want, as Thomas is saying, I want to be there no matter what. You see, when you stick together, you feel less alone. And I ask you, as we, as we think of the story, and we, as we know, here it is, Jesus already knows that Lazarus is dead. But he wants to be there for Mary and Martha. He wants to be there to help them, to, to grieve with them. And as we know, this, this whole section shows us just how close Jesus and Lazarus was. As, as this brings the shortest verse in Scripture, Jesus wept. So the emotion was there. He knew exactly what was going on. And so he needed to be around people. It shows his humanity. It shows that Jesus needed people to be around him as well, to encourage him. You see, there are a lot of moments in life that can make us feel isolated and alone, but we don't have to stay that way. When we're afraid of grieving alone, Jesus gives us himself, and God gives us each other. So I want to challenge you as we think of this, and we think of 
Lazarus, and we think of this, that we would look at Jesus. We would look at how at the beginning Jesus is saying, basically, look, I know he is sick. But then Jesus faces that whole thing of knowing that if he goes back, people are trying to kill him. But it doesn't matter because he had people that was going to go with him. And and again, Jesus being understand man, understand God, did not need that. But it shows us as, as an example that we need people to do life with. So I challenge you, who are you doing life with? Who are your friends? Who are people that you say are close to you? Are these people that encourage you? Are these people that are there for you that no matter what, who will even point out things in your life that may be wrong and you accept it? Or do you just have people in your life who just basically when things get tough and they get rough, that they just leave you? You see, Jesus makes it very clear that we need people that are going to encourage us, who are going to be there for us, and who's going to allow us to be transparent with them. And it's going to talk to us, to encourage us. So I would challenge you, please, find a friend that's going to stick together with you, even when things go rough. Because we all need people around us. Because isolation sometimes can cause more damage than good. And now, today's ministry spotlight. Pleased to have uh, Brother Benny and Sister Lena in the radio studio this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners um, a story that you shared about a, a storekeeper who had a jar of candy. Yes. Would you please tell our listeners about that? See, um, there in India, when we go to a grocery store, uh, parents will buy. This is olden days. Now we have supermarkets, so they don't care about customers. <laughs> so this store, when you go there, and he was uh, buying candy, I mean groceries, the mom was buying groceries. So the owner of the store said that, son, you can take a couple of candy from that. They always have jars, jars of big candy. jars set up in front so that, you know, that attracts the kids. Yeah, so you can pick up some candy. And the kid said, no. And the mom is saying, too, you know, son, you can have it. He said, no. And the Indian culture is what you always respectfully say no a couple of times. And then you say, yes, would you like to have a cup of coffee? And you say, no. I mean, I was surprised living in New York. My coworkers will ask, would you like this? And I would say, no. And they would say, fine. And they, they, won't, they won't ask you again. But here at this store, and the, the, the owner is saying, have some candy. He said, no. And he said again, and he insisted that because the kid is not accepting it, uh, taking it, the owner went in and uh, put his hand into the jar and picked up a whole bunch of candy and gave it to him. And the kid took it and on the way the mom asked, why didn't you take it when he asked you to take you could when they give you permission you have to take it he said i didn't take it because my hand is small and his hand is big wow. when he gives oh. it is much more than what my hand can take wow so and that's the the analogy of course is god's hand yes is infinitely big yes and we can trust him to give to us what we need to uh serve him. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. Um, I wonder if you could tell us, Benny, uh, what it's like for many believers in Jesus Christ in countries that are not Christian. It is right now the uh, climate of uh, hate is 
around the world, I should say across Asia, many of the nations, uh, we are seeing a lot of persecution and hatred. For example, in my country itself, there are uh, there is a, a hate crime against Christians is rising. Uh, persecution of uh, Christians have risen in last, I should say, 10 years. For example, India used to be on World Watch list uh, number 25, then it went to number 20, 17. This year, past year, it is number 10, and it is still rising. Uh, so that's the situation everywhere. The stat says that every six minutes, a believer is killed somewhere for the gospel. Mm. Over 320 people are killed every month for the sake of the gospel. But we don't hear those news here. Uh, but in spite of this persecution, the gospel is advancing. Yeah. God is uh, doing his work there. But we are not praying, or when we go to the front line, people are not praying that the the persecution will go, but they're praying that these persecutors who are persecuting us will know about Jesus and the love of Jesus, and that will uh, change their heart. And that is what the prayer is. Yesterday I had a video sent from a friend. He said a church building was there in southern India for the last 35 years, but the ruling government and their local leaders there made it a point to demolish that church, and they came and demolished it with some kind of excuse saying that it was on illegal property. And when I saw that video, in that video that man is requesting, we are pr asking you to pray for those people who came and demolished the, this church, mm. that God will show them in visions and dreams that they have done wrong and they will be, uh, uh, their lives will be saved. They will be attracted to know about Jesus Christ. So there is persecution, both going hand in hand. More persecution is happening now. But at the same time, the gospel is advancing too. I have friends in Iran who will say, uh, there are, I mean, uh, Harmozi, he is the Billy Graham of um, Iran. Uh, he will share with you that thousands of uh, people are coming to Christ right there in Iran. For example, because of this coronavirus, uh, we think that Chinese people are dying and we hear all that news. But I got some news from other sources who are with the underground church in China. We have got reports even while this coronavirus is happening. There are believers getting a chance to go and share the gospel with them. Pray for those who are sick. And many are coming to know Christ and trusting God. Praise the Lord. And there are videos that is appearing in some areas where the policemen are sharing the gospel with others. So God is turning these things that is bad that we see with our eyes uh, into good for his glory. Yes. And he has, I mean, he will do things in his time, not our time. We trust him. And when we see things like this, we don't have to get weary and uh, worried about things like that. But we need to do is pray and take every opportunity, every minute, every second, every hour to share about Jesus with others and uh, what he, his love and what he has done for us. And as we do that, we see his glory work through our lives. Absolutely. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. 
We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Laney's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. This question comes from 1 Corinthians 7, 36 to 38, which I will read. But if any man thinks that he is acting unbecomingly toward his virgin daughter, if she should be of full age, and if it must be so, let him do what he wishes, he does not sin to let her marry. But he who stands firm in his heart, being under no constraint, but has the authority over his own will, and has decided this in his own heart, to keep his own virgin daughter, he will do well. So then both he who gives his own virgin daughter in marriage does well, and he who does not give her, her in marriage will do better. The question is, who is the man and his virgin? What is the situation Paul is referring to? There are three main interpretations of the situation referred to in verses 36 to 38. Interpretation one, the man is the virgin's husband. According to this view, the couple had entered into a spiritual marriage and were living in sexual abstinence. Interpretation number two, the man is betrothed to the virgin. According to this view, the couple had agreed to remain single and celibate, but now have had a change of heart. Interpretation three, the man is the virgin's father or guardian. According to this view, the father had wanted to keep his daughter a virgin, but Paul says that he should let her marry if she shows no inclination toward living a life of celibacy. Whatever the precise situation being referred to, Paul grants permission for the virgin to marry in verse 36, but affirms his own preference for celibacy, verses 37 and 38. You have been listening to The Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Due to concerns regarding COVID-19, we will not have a worship service today at our location on Collins Avenue. Instead, we will be streaming our service online this morning at 10.30 a.m. You can gain access to the service at www.calvarybible.org.bs or you can find us at CBC Body on Facebook. Our stream will also be held there. We encourage your comments and you can write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N-1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs the Savior. Savior.